I think that's the sermon for today. (laughs) Absolutely amazing job. Thank you to the choir. Our scripture reading for today comes from Genesis 48, verses 15 and 16, and then chapter 49, verses 28 to 33. Let us listen to God's word to us. The God before whom my ancestors Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, bless the boys. And in them let my name be perpetuated in the name of my ancestors Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude on the earth. Then jumping down to chapter 49, verse 28. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel, and this is what their father said to them when he blessed them, blessing each one of them with a suitable blessing. Then he charged them, saying to them, I am about to be gathered to my people. Bury me with my ancestors in the cave in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave in the field at Machpelah near Mamre, in the land of Canaan, in the field that Abraham bought from Ephron the Hittite as a burial site. There Abraham and his wife Sarah were buried. There Isaac and his wife Rebekah were buried. And there I buried Leah. The fields and the cave that is in it were purchased from the Hittites. When Jacob ended his charge to his sons, he drew up his feet into the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. This is the word of God for us the people of God. Thanks be to God. I suppose it is appropriate that our family drama series ends with a sermon on death. It's the way the book of Genesis ends. No family that has ever lived has managed to avoid it. And even outside of funerals, I think God has a lot to teach us about hope and about death and about grief. Every story that we've preached so far in this series for the past couple months has been connected by a family tree, from Adam and Eve through Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau to Joseph. Genesis is the story of God's faithfulness to this family. Through the thick and the thin of family life, God has stayed beside them. They have prospered, generally despite themselves, because of the God they follow. Beginning with Abraham, God made a promise. In Genesis chapter 12, he promises a homeland and says, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is a promise of a home, protection, and a blessing that will be for all the families of the earth. It is a promise that God has kept. Abraham passed it to his son. Isaac passed it to his son. Jacob, who became Israel by the power of the promise, is now preparing to die. His body is failing. And this section that we read this morning begins with Joseph walking in to see his father. And the story simply says, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. 
Many of us have seen that moment. We've been there as someone we love summons their strength. It's a squeeze of the hand, a long look that carries years of love, a whispered goodbye. Then all too soon, their eyes close a final time. The rise and fall of their chest stops. They slip away. The story, it says, when Jacob ended his charge to his sons, he drew up his feet on the bed, breathed his last, and was gathered to his people. The details of the story, they're, they're a reminder that these stories, they aren't a history book. These are the stories that a family has passed down from mother to daughter, father to son. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget who we are. Don't forget whose we are. That image of drawing up his feet. This is the story that his sons have passed around. It's not just an idea. It's a memory. Israel draws his feet and breathes his last. These moments surrounding death should be too sacred for family drama. The family has gathered together, but death is heavy so significant that the drama doesn't stay away. Often the best and worst comes out at weddings and funerals. Why? Because the whole family is in town with everyone in the same room. Old wounds begin to reopen. You always were her favorite. You're here now that he's dying, but where were you all these years while I was taking care of him? Where is the will and what does it say? And when did that happen? Not every death is so peaceful like Israel's. Some hospital rooms are boiling with disagreements over quality of life, over whether a loved one would want to be kept alive, whether it's time to let them go. Desperate for a final goodbye, a chance at reconciliation, relief that it's over? Or it's a phone call. It's a phone call in the middle of the night, and between the tears you learn they're gone. We're making arrangements, pack up the car, buy a plane ticket. In the midst of all this, Israel draws up his feet and breathes his last, and the death comes. Next is grief. Grief which has many faces. Joseph especially is distraught for 70 days. He weeps. We aren't told about his 11 brothers, but I'm sure some were silent, brooding. Others told stories. Someone I know jumped straight into planning. Grief hits us all in different ways. We only ever talk about grief and death at funerals, but if we're all honest with ourselves, grief and death don't stay at the funeral comes with the anniversary of that day, the anniversary of a wedding with birthdays and Christmases. C.S. Lewis writes about a circle of friends. And every circle of friends, everybody in it brings something distinct. And when they're gone, they leave a hole. That moment where he would have had just the right joke, when you're longing for her chicken noodle soup, the smell of their clothes, the sound of their laugh, the smirk in their eyes that let you know they were up to something, how she would have grabbed you by the ear if she heard you say that. That hole cannot be filled. That person cannot be replaced. It's only more true in a family. You can't replace a parent, a grandparent, a sibling, a child. When death visits a family, a community, it leaves a hole. This is simply an unavoidable fact. And it is important to pause there. The grief is important. 
because there is a hole, and that hole will refuse to be filled. Too often, I think, we avoid talking about grief, almost like we're afraid to remind this person that they've lost somebody. We hear our faith's promise of resurrection and the comforting presence of God's spirit at funerals, but grief and death don't stay at funerals. Neither should the reminders of hope and promise. Culturally, I think we fear death. It feels like there's nothing worse than death. Life is the only good thing, and death is the absence of life. So we struggle for words at death, struggle for words to speak to someone's grief. But we have words. We have words to name our grief. The person we love, they're no longer with us. We will always miss them. We all know that some words can cheapen this grief. They try to cover it up with cliches that don't honor the depth of loss. But we do have words. We have words of hope more than anything else, an incredible hope, because we have received promises from God that death is not the end and not just promises. Our faith is born from men and women who witnessed with their eyes, who touched the scars of a man they had buried in a tomb. Before Jesus died, he looked at his friends and he told them, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. So that where I am, there you will be also. Israel's death is shaped by the promise of God. In his final moments, he gathers his family and he blesses them in the name of God, the God of his father and grandfather. During his life, he has again and again experienced that he can trust in God's promises. God's promise is sure, so he entrusts his children and his grandchildren to the God that has saved him. He tells them, trust on the promises of God. His death is shaped by God's promise. Israel is dying, but he's not defeated. He isn't defeated because he has entrusted those he cares about into the hands of the God who loves them. He is dying, but God's promises are still sure. I was teaching a class once talking about heaven. I was reading them this vision of a new earth from the book of Isaiah and talking about how heaven is defined by God's vision of the world. No more sickness, no death, no poverty, no fear. This is what heaven will look like. A youth raised their hand. I think you're wrong, he said, because I don't think heaven will look the same for everyone. I think heaven will look like what you want it to, and you'll be able to visit each other's heavens. So my heaven will be what I want, and your heaven can be what you want. He and others felt life after death was simply built into the fabric of the universe. It's natural. Everyone can carry the comfort of whatever heaven they would like. No fear of death, because all death holds is a dream come true. This assurance that so many carry, it's been borrowed from our faith. For 1,500 years, Christianity has been the dominant religion in the Western world. People have been born and buried Christian generation after generation until Christian beliefs and Christian promises 
people think they're just part of how the world is. These youth, they thought they could simply copy and paste a belief in heaven without copying and pasting the God that makes it possible. Our thoughts surrounding death have been shaped by a belief in the Christian God for so long that many of us have forgotten that this belief is only possible, only coherent, because God says so. Israel's death was shaped by the promises of God, but the promise he held was limited. It was that God would bless his children. The fullness of that promise was still to come in the life, death, and resurrection of our God, Jesus Christ, who has said, I go to prepare a place for you. I will come again, and I will take you to myself. So when the phone call comes in the dead of night, when we are huddled around a hospital bed, when we are gathered together dressed in black, we gather to share our grief. We gather because there is a hole where there was one we love. We gather because there are loose ends, regrets, secrets, betrayals, memories, hopes. We gather together seeking whether the promises of God are still sure. We ask, is there something from God, even in a time like this? What we find is the promise, the certain promise of an empty tomb an eternal home, a heaven that is defined by a Father who loves us better than we love ourselves. Whenever you find God's love in the bottom places of life, it changes the way you look at the other levels of life. You take more risks, you take God more seriously, and yourself less seriously. You enjoy the gift of the day and you don't worry so much about tomorrow after all. What's the worst that can happen? Are you going to fall back to the bottom? Well, you've already been there. And it was there that you discovered that God is indeed faithful. From the midst of our grief, God can lead us into a newness of life because not even death can overcome his promise. And we are a people who are meant to stand on the promise. Fred Craddock tells a story, and I'll simply read it as he tells it. On one of my trips some time ago, I don't know where, I arrived at the place where I was supposed to hold services on Friday evening, Saturday evening, and Sunday morning. When I pulled into the parking lot of the church, a funeral was concluding. People were moving to their automobiles. The hearse was still there. The minister saw me, recognized me, and motioned for me to come over. I didn't want to intrude. I was just waiting until it was over. He was standing next to the widow. He introduced her. He introduced me. And I felt awkward. I said to her, this is no time for you to be meeting strangers. I'm sorry. And I'm really sorry about your loss. Her husband had been killed in a car wreck and left her with four children. I said, I know this is a very difficult time for you. She said, it is. So I won't be at the services tonight, but I'll be there tomorrow night, and I will be there Sunday morning. I said, oh, you don't need to do that. Yes, I do. I said, well, what I meant was I know this is a very hard time. And she said, I know it's hard. It's already hard. But you see, this is my church, and they're going to see that my children and I are okay. 
That's who we are. Here we are not afraid of grief. We are not afraid of death. Here we cling to each other, planted upon the promise. Israel drew up his feet and breathed his last, and still the promise was sure. Jesus was nailed to a cross and put in a tomb, and still the promise was sure. When the phone call comes, when you find yourself huddled around a hospital bed, when we are all gathered in black, when the anniversaries, the birthdays, the Christmases come around and you're missing someone you deeply love, still the promise is sure. Hear me on that. Still the promise is sure. Your death will come. Mine will too. And still the promise will be sure through the grief into the dark. Still, the promise is sure. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, we recognize that it is only on your sure and steady promises that we stand. Lord, we know that grief strikes us all. In many different ways, for some, it is an open wound still. For some, it comes with the reminders of all of the holidays. And yet we know that we stand on you, our firm foundation. Might we gather together as a community, planted together, standing on your promises. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.